Wealth for Good. The Singapore Art Week kicked off on January 19 and this year it is presenting an array of over 150 art events featuring new works and transnational collaborations across Singapore and on the online space as well. So this week on Wealth for Good, we talk about the collecting and giving of art and how philanthropists are making a difference through art. Joining me is Ning Chong, Managing Director of Family Office for Art, which is a new premium art advisory in Singapore. Welcome to the show, Ning. Hi, Lindley. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to have you with me. Could you share with me, firstly, about the Family Office for Art and how did the idea for this art advisory come about? So at Family Office for Art, really, it's a boutique art advisory company where we specialize to help collectors primarily to manage their art collection and also to provide advice in terms of estate planning uh, and to help them preserve their art wealth. And my dad and I, we started the company um, almost two years ago. Uh, And really, it's because we were coming out of lockdown. And I've already been running a private gallery called The Culture Story for the last seven years. And against the backdrop of um, so many family offices popping up in Singapore, the private wealth industry is really flourishing. We're becoming known as the Switzerland of Southeast Asia. I decided that actually this was a gap which I identified in the market and I thought that it was timely to start something like this. And really the genesis of it all was because I've already been applying these skills Mm. uh, towards my family art collection, my dad's art collection. We have over 300 pieces. So... I'm really walking the talk and I hope to apply what we've been doing for other collectors because I think in this era, in this uh, environment where we are going to see some uh, wealth transfer from one generation to the next, uh, invariably part of some of these assets for some of these families would be art. And um, at the moment, I think uh, there isn't anybody out there who's actually looking at this space. Mm -hmm. So I decided to jump in. Mm, fantastic. Before we get into the philanthropic part of things, when you look at art, what are some of the key considerations you have to guide collectors in passing down their art legacies and also ensuring generational continuity? <laughs> so that's a really big question. Um, but I think what we try to do, um, first of all, is to initiate a conversation with the principal collector and typically that tends to be either the patriarch or the matriarch. And sometimes uh, you may also find that they collect as a couple. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, if they have been passionate about collecting, they end up actually collecting across a variety of genres and they have amassed uh, things of different medium. Uh, so it's not just paintings, 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 but they would have acquired um sculptures, Mm. prints, artifacts, um, 3D objects, maybe even textiles. So it's a lot of my work actually at FOFA is education. So it's explaining to some of these collectors that, look, it's a good time to start thinking about these things. You may be in your prime right now, Mm -hmm. but it's always good to have some kind of a framework or an approach towards your collection and uh, in that sense, once that is sort of established, then you can initiate a conversation with your children. Because more often than not, most 
children of collectors, sometimes they may be aware of what their parents have collected, but many of them don't share the same interest. And even if they did, they might veer off and they have their own taste in terms of what they would like to acquire for themselves. Mm. So there's no short, quick answer to this. It's really, for us, it's, it's about fostering an environment or creating a platform where family members can come together to have a discussion. And it is somewhat urgent in the sense that, you know, for most wealthy families or or collectors, you know, usually they have their financial affairs in order, the private bank or their family office would have everything, the checks and balances are there, everything is recorded, is in a system. But when it comes to art and collectibles, which I call these passion assets, Mm -hmm. it's often sort of neglected or overlooked. But actually, these in itself is part of your estate. It can be part of your legacy, Mm. you know, not not only having a flourishing business or, uh, you know, a thriving multi-generational family, but these assets can also tell the story of the family. So this is something that the next generation should also take note of because they may not be aware. They may just think that, oh, this is stuff that my parents collect and I have no part in it, but actually you do eventually because you may very well end up being the guardians of all these properties, Um, all these assets. hmm. I'd like to know about your personal story. I'm, I'm sure you're speaking from experience. You have qualification in economics. How mm-hmm. did you first become interested in art? Um, it's, I would say definitely I have to credit my father because he is has been a long-time collector. He's been collecting since the 80s. Um, I pursued economics as any typical Singaporean <laughs> student would in that sense. Uh, but very quickly when I was in London, I, I uh, realized that I actually did not want to pursue banking or financial services as a career. So I took a gap year and the truth was I fell into art uh, naturally on my own. It wasn't really very sort of heavy-handed uh, influence from my dad, but he obviously encouraged me to look at this. Mm. And so I decided that I ought to explore this a little bit more. And I went back to Christie's Institute in London and basically mm-hmm. worked around and uh, earned my stripes. I've mm-hmm. done many, many different things in London mm-hmm. and in Singapore. Wow. And I think the best way to go deep in any industry is to be really hands-on. And I think also this notion of networking, I mean, it sounds very obvious to, to you and me, but really wherever you're placed, even as tiny as a role, it all contributes to your experience. And sometimes without you realizing it, that person that you met, that contact, that boss mm. or peer that you knew then could really come in handy later <laughs> on. And that's how I built my career. Yeah, it is a very small world indeed. Now, in recent years, we've heard of various people or philanthropists in Singapore actively organising art shows featuring priceless works by blue-chip artists such as Ai Weiwei, Nam Junpaik, Danbo, Shilpa Gupta and others. What do you think drives them to commit time, money and resources to these efforts? I think generally... These collectors, you know, at some point, they've obviously filled up their homes and maybe even their offices. And at this point, they are storing these priceless works of art in storage facilities. And 
One thing that I know unites all collectors is this desire to be able to see more of their collections that is otherwise mostly stuck in storage in that sense. So there's this passion and there's this sense of wanting to share with the public. Mm -hmm. And also, to be honest, I think some of these collectors, they have a lot of fun curating their own shows from their own collection Mm. because it's a form of expression. It's Mm. just that they may not draw or they may not paint, but with the knowledge that they have, they are able to pull words from the collection. They're able to draw connections. They're able to suggest narratives. And by putting up some of these shows, which are typically not ticketed in that sense, it's really free to to members of the public. Mm. It's also a way of supporting the industry. So you could be engaging a curator, you'd be engaging a local writer to write for the show. Obviously, you're contributing to the art industry in terms of employing, you know, art handlers, logistics, transport, framing, conservation, the whole pipeline. So at the end of the day, they're also aware that these art pieces are part of their passion assets and they use it as a way to showcase their legacy. Mm. And this sort of pop-ups are not uncommon. Maybe it's new or a novel idea in Singapore, but we've actually seen so many of these in other major art hubs, you know, Hong Mm. Kong, New York, London, Latin America, India. I mean, Mm. it's it's actually not a a very new phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's only now we've started to see more of these. And Mm. I can also give a bit of background. I think historically, most Singaporean or Singapore-based collectors are very shy and very private. Mm. We just don't have this sense of wanting to open up and, could I say, show off what they have. <laughs> but I think these attitudes are also changing. We're also seeing a new breed or a new generation of young collectors coming in who are definitely much more open, much more willing to share. We have social media. And I would say also it's some sort of street cred if you will you know to to share with others to say like hey i have this and i've been collecting this for a long long time it's not a sudden thing and so it's very interesting to see how some of these collectors when they open up their collections it's also to understand more about their personality Mm. and their taste and to show us the possibilities when you juxtapose you know a western sort of blue chip artist with a, say, a modern artist from Indonesia or Singapore. Uh, And it's to give people a sense of an element of surprise and go, oh, yeah, you know, during the same, say, maybe the same decade, this was happening in the West, but this was also happening in the region. So I think those possibilities are very interesting. Ning, in terms of philanthropy, what kind of trends are you seeing in the art circles? I think a very easy entry point would be we're seeing a lot more new people, younger people coming forth to support our art institutions, like our museums, National Gallery, Singapore Art Museum, and also um, a real search in interest and support for our nonprofit art centres or art institutions, so places like DEC, Objectives, and even an organisation like Open House. There's been a swell of support. I've also seen some collectors thinking about donating Mm-hmm. or at least um, having initial discussions with museums to loan out some parts of their collection for various um, exhibitions. So these are some of the conversations that we're seeing. I would love to see a bit more, or at least to encourage some patrons and philanthropists to put money towards uh, not just infrastructural projects, 
but more the softer stuff to to build our capability and to build the software because we need that to support the industry. So things like critical writing, research, and these are all possibilities that we can actually be creative with. So let's say if a private patron is willing to donate X amount and there's a and we're able to match make that with an institution and the funds could be prioritized towards a gap uh, perhaps in one of their research areas and that could be ring fenced for that particular either category or genre or space because that's what is so lacking in this part of the world which is discourse literature uh, research papers reviews uh, because by and large, presentation of art is not very difficult. It's it's the other things that complements it because we're thinking long term. And yeah, so that part takes education. It takes time. You need to cultivate a relationship. You need to explain. You need to show them the possibilities. A lot of that kind of work is quite invisible, but it's actually quite urgent. It needs to be done. Hmm. You were saying that the profile of these collectors or art buyers... You know, getting younger, do you see that there is hope in galvanizing them into giving the same way that they give to social causes? I think so, certainly, because even for someone like myself, I consider myself young. Mm-hmm. Um, naturally, I think the the world that we grew up in is so different from our parents' time. Many, or you know, at least more of us have traveled or have been educated overseas, we're exposed to different things, new models, new ways of thinking. We're more open to collaboration, to the idea of interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary for that matter. So all this takes time to steep in and it takes certain champions of art and artists to to push the way forward. I mean, I'm speaking quite philosophically Mm. because as much as I am a consultant, I understand this kind of work that needs to be done. Mm. I used to work at the NEC and, you know, we we did a lot of master planning and policies and grant giving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And these are the gaps that we know needs to be plugged in the long term. Mm. And I'm I'm very hopeful because I think the, the younger generation of art collectors and patrons are pretty action oriented. We like to see results um, we like to network, we like to collaborate, and uh, this relationship that we have with artists, practitioners, and everyone else who works in the art world, it's its so much more direct. It's so much easier to access. But I, I think what would be required is to have focus, to understand what is exactly that you want to set out to do. Mm. Um, you have to choose the areas or the institution that you're looking to support and how. And I think one of the key things that even I tell myself is to be consistent. Because with consistency, then you see not just results, but you see progress. You get feedback. It's a loop. Yeah, I, I know it sounds very abstract, but really that's that's the meat of what it is to give back. Mm. And this term philanthropy, it's it's a very big term, to be honest. Mm. Uh, and, and you know, all the big names in our society, it, they really give back, not only in a big way, but in a very consistent way. And we need to apply that to the arts as well. Putting on your consultant hat, what kind of initiatives would you advise your clients to, you know, do more in terms of giving? There are different ways of giving back. So it's not just writing a check. It's not just um, showing up at a gala. I mean, that is all great. Mm -hmm. And it speaks 
volumes if you can be an ambassador for them because most of us are just you know doing our own thing mm. whether it's an institutional framework uh, so on and so forth it could also be about donating works so there are models out there in the you know uh, in the West, you know, these large uh, iconic institutions, they have a committee, they have different committees mm. where I have heard that sometimes if there's a funding gap, this is where some of the patrons or committee members would step in to address that gap. But I mean, obviously, it has to be backed up by the right justifications that, you know, we really need this work because it, it will fit into whatever our narrative or there's something that we're short of and we're trying to put up a show for next year or the following year. So that's where philanthropists and patrons' involvement in would have a direct benefit. And also, I think if I could just elaborate this more about this point, it's more about offering your time mm. and your network because that's where the real work is, to be honest. It's showing up, it's spreading the word, it's talking to your friends, your network, uh, explaining, you know, why is it that they themselves, the principals, enjoy about art. And and some and it's not always about, oh, I have all of these amazing artworks in my collections because they genuinely enjoy supporting young artists or supporting your top established artists because they ought to deserve those accolades or that recognition. It's work in progress. <laughs> it's always, it's a lot of sharing, exchanging, education. And yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to be part of that journey with them. Mm-hmm. If they if they are interested. Speaking of which, what's next for you, Ning? Where do you see Family Office for Art <laughs> in the next few years? Well, we are a homegrown company. I'm born and raised here. I hope that we are able to have a presence with the right audience. And as it is right now, we have been speaking to a few of the private banks. We also get uh, referrals from the top insurance houses because what one of the services that we do is valuation and appraisals. Mm. So typically, sometimes a collector, they want to renew or they have not taken a policy insurance before and they realize that they have over 100 things in the house that they've never really catalogued properly or inventorized properly. So this is where we come in because more often than not, I mean, your PA can't do this job for you. Your kids may not even know where to start. And it requires care and experience to know how to handle the works. We know who to call in the industry if you need packing, sensitive packing to transport them. If you need to take high-res photos, maybe we'll even do a cursory condition check to see how are the works doing. Is the frame still intact or is it breaking apart? So it's all these things that it may seem easy but actually not really because you need to have had experience to be able to highlight some of these things and i hope even though we're based in singapore actually i really like to reach out to some of the collectors in the region because there are some amazing collections uh, all over you know from jakarta manila bangkok and beyond and uh, i think they would also need this kind of services if they have not thought about it before because at the end of the day it's taking care of your heritage as well Mm. These are cultural assets. These are cultural goods. I've done it for my my own family collection, so I understand that you know it can be a bit painful initially because you don't know where to start. <laughs> but we have that experience, and mm. uh, I think we're well placed to help them. Wow! Thank you so much for sharing your very interesting insights and perspectives with Bunny FM eighty nine point three Ning. Thank you so much, Linley. Nice chatting with you, Ning Chong, Managing Director for Family Office for Art. 
Wealth for Good.